And hopefully the rest of you are ready to be thoroughly impressed with Jesus, even more than you have been in the past, if you have been in the past. Uh, this morning we are going to witness Jesus as he is bringing fulfillment to God's perfect plan of redemption. So this is about Jesus bringing fulfillment, Jesus accomplishing everything he was sent here to do. It's all coming to a, a climax and it's all coming to the very end. And it's about him bringing perfect fulfillment. If I would have told you that today we're going to talk about fulfillment, you would have thought about yourself and how I could be more fulfilled, right? Um, and that's what we're all looking for. But there's something greater than what you accomplish in you living a fulfilled life. And that's that Jesus perfectly fulfills everything he was tasked to do, if you will. And really, if you grasp that Jesus fulfilled the plan, did everything necessary so that you could be reconciled to God, so that you could be experiencing peace with God, you will find ultimate fulfillment in your life. And so it's as we look outside of ourselves to another, specifically Jesus, and we're impressed with Him, we, we find our true selves because then we find ourselves reconciled to God and then we find ourselves living like human beings are supposed to live for the glory of God in all things and, and love for one another as well. And so uh, we're going to look at the betrayal of Jesus, which doesn't sound like fulfillment, but it is. And we're also going to look at the denial of Jesus, uh, which doesn't sound very good, but it actually is all part of a plan, a plan of redemption. So if you have a Bible, please look at the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Jesus according to Luke. And we're going to briskly walk through the first 62 verses. Okay, so we are going to be on speed mode here, uh, going rather quickly because I want us to see the whole. I want us to see Judas' betrayal and Peter and see how similar they are and see how different they are and, and, and see how it all sort of hangs together and comes together. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the service as a fitting um, conclusion to the whole because it's in this passage where Jesus historically establishes the Lord's Supper. And so it's a good way for us to end that this morning. So we're looking to Jesus. Uh, we're looking at bad things that happen to Jesus, but they're not happening by accident. They're happening according to plan. And hopefully it causes you to see him for who he is. So let's jump right in in verse 1 where it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. So quickly, let me remind you, if you weren't here earlier in the service, Passover, Passover is, is back to Exodus chapter 12, where God saved, he rescued, he delivered Israel, the nation, from slavery, slavery to the Egyptians. It's a huge historic event. It's major, one of the most major in all of the Old Testament. And, and God uh, called this people to himself. He said he would be their God. They would be his people. He made these promises. He's a, he's a covenant-keeping God. Um, and he's going to be loyal to that relationship. And now it's Passover again. This has been celebrated, commemorated. This is important because we're going to talk about commemorating the Lord's death in communion. And so we're going to put the pieces together for fulfillment. But Passover is what's going on. Passover is a huge deal. It's a big deal. Let's remember, if we're Israel then, let's remember our God makes promises and he keeps them. 
Our God is faithful. Our God is loyal. Our God is not like the, the fake deities that we, we see made with human hands. He delivered us. Against all odds, He delivered us. Not because we were better, but because He's faithful. And then year after year, celebrating God's faithfulness. Our God saves. Okay? I'm emphasizing that, repeating that, because it's positive, it's good, it's right. We're remembering this. And then in verse 2, the chief priests and scribes that the Jewish leaders are seeking to put Jesus to death for they're afraid of the people. How about that? God saves Passover. God's people kill Jesus. And it's just dripping with irony. It's so wrong on so many different levels. They're afraid of the people. We know they're afraid of the people because at the end of chapter, the chapter that came before this, the people are coming to Jesus, listening to everything he says. They're being drawn in. Jesus is making sense. And so if you put the two chapters together, you go, ah, now we understand. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid of the people listening to Jesus. Because let me ask you, what happens if they keep listening to Jesus? If they keep listening to Jesus, it's going to put the religious establishment out of business. Because what's going to happen is Jesus as the temple and the temple is going to, the, the physical temple is going to be destroyed. And now you don't go to the physical temple to meet with God and worship and fellowship with God. You go to Jesus, the mediator between God and man. And so what's going to happen in effect is that temple is going to be a historical landmark, right? It's not that the temple isn't good. It's not that the temple didn't have great things happen uh, within its walls. It's hugely significant. Let's go take a field trip to the temple and remember history. Let's get the kids on the buses. Sign the permission slips. We'll go to the temple. Great things used to happen here. But the substance belongs to Christ. See, that's, a, that's, that's what's going to happen. The people keep listening to Jesus. They're going to see Jesus for who He is. And all the corruption and all the money making and all the manipulation that shouldn't have been going on by the religious leaders is going to be snuffed out. So they're afraid of the people in that sense. So verse 3 says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was, one, uh, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Satanic plot, right? Satan enters into him. And then he goes with the religious leaders. It's absolutely, they may, they're making a deal with the devil, we might say. Is Satan cunning? Yes. Is Satan corrupt? Yes. Is Satan wise and sovereign? No. If he were wise and sovereign, he would be doing the exact opposite. I might just want to speculate. He would be trying to stop Jesus from being killed, right? Remember in Matthew chapter 16, what happens with, with Jesus and Peter? Peter's like, no way, you're, you're going to die, Lord. No, over, over my dead body will you die. And then what does Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. The plan you're suggesting that would keep me from Calvary is actually satanic. 
Satan is confused is what he is. But let's just see that this is, this is something bad going on. It's, it's terrible. It's satanic. But what we're going to see throughout this passage, God's purposes will be fulfilled even through unwise satanic devices and ungodly human beings. My friends, this is a God you can trust. Don't trust Satan. He's confused. Don't trust human beings. They're corrupt. I met one this morning when I woke up and looked in the mirror. But you trust God in His perfect plan of redemption that it will be fulfilled. His plan of the ages. You trust Christ. Let's be impressed with Him. Verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. I wrote a circle around sacrifice because we're going to start seeing Jesus in this connection. Verse 8, So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Why, are they do, why did Jesus say that? Well, he, it's because it's Passover, right? And, and we're going to see that that's a, a type of Christ. It's going to point to Him. I would also just remind you that Jesus isn't going to say, well, we don't have time for that. Because Jesus is a Jew. And Jesus didn't come to break the law. Jesus didn't come to ignore the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law and to the very end, even to Calvary. He's always doing the right thing because he's the law fulfiller. And I remind you, he is that for us. It's awesome. It's awesome. Man, this is good. This is just like, let's go. Impressiveness with Jesus. Verse 9, they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, the city's filled with people, teeming with people, all kinds of things happening. He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with, with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. People commonly rented out rooms, especially during Passover, and that's what's going on here. Verse 13. Oh, just as a footnote, a lot of times what would happen is then you would leave them like the, the, the skins of the animal. You know, payment kind of thing. But anyway, it's a common thing that went on, we know, historically. Let's keep going. Verse 12. And he will show you a large... We already did that. Where did we end? We ended... 13. Let's read 13 in case we missed that. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And again, I, I'm a circle drawer or box drawer. Okay, sacrificed lamb in verse 7. Now in verse 15, this Passover. I drew something around that. And then before I suffer. And there's so much going on. It's the lamb that suffers at Passover. The people celebrate. That God atones. God passes over. God forgives. God reconciles. And, and, and here they're having the Passover. And it's a sacrifice. And Jesus is going to suffer. It's all about Him. It's about fulfillment. It's about types and shadows moving to substance, which belongs to Christ. Passover was a, a celebration of a temporary saving, a national saving. And Jesus is the ultimate, and it's not temporary, and it's not national. 
It's for all who would believe in Him. If you're a note taker, you can jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The drama is unfolding. The whole Bible's storyline is, is sinking itself up and making more and more sense and promises, fulfillments, types and shadows, substance, pictures, reality. It's unfolding. It's a great drama. It's a magnificent drama. And I I just have to pastorally remind you two things, and they're not contradictory. The drama's not about us. This isn't your life story. It wouldn't take much for me to turn the sermon into principles about you and your life and how it's better to tell the truth than to lie and it's better to be like Peter than to be like Judas and it's good to be prepared and who knows what we could talk about. But for it to really be about you, it needs to not be about you. It needs to be about Christ's great drama of redemption because He didn't come to redeem Himself. He came to redeem people just like you and just like me. And so we can, if we can leave this and have this not be about business principles for your job tomorrow and have it be about Him, then tomorrow is a good day. It's about His story but it is for us. It's awesome. It's great. Verse 16 says, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled. Oh, see, fulfillment in the kingdom of God. There's going to be sacrifice. But do notice, He's going to eat again. Well, that's a good little preview. Let's see a little bit more. Verse 17, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Again, he's he's saying it in another way. You know what? I I am going to drink it again, though. It's not explicitly spelled out. He's already talked about it in in the gospel narratives. I'm going to live again. I'm going to be sacrificed, but I'm not going to stay dead and I'm not going to stay sacrificed. There's future and I am the authority. I'm in charge. I'm laying my life down and I will live again. Are they catching all that? I'm not going to suggest that, but we certainly can understand it because we know the rest of the story. And so let's keep that in mind. Verse 19 says, And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, Think Passover. Think Passover meal. This is my body, not the lamb. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. No longer is the the, the great emphasis God's saving act from the Egyptians. That was a great picture. That was a great preview of how God does things. But it was designed to anticipate that this is my body given 
for you. Substitution, greatest reality on planet earth. The just for the unjust. The law keeper, Jesus for the lawbreakers, Pat and company. This is is about me, saying. This is about me for you. It's, It's just deluxe. It's extraordinary. This, this is Jesus Christ loving us. For you theologians, um, this is high Christology. Think about this. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. The Passover had been, do this in remembrance of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God and His faithfulness. And Jesus isn't denying that here. He's making that claim of Himself. It's rocking. It is seriously rocking. This is no less than saying, I'm God. Do it in remembrance of me. Wow. Verse 20, And likewise the cup after he had eaten, they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. Again, notice the substitution reality. For you is the new covenant in my blood. For you, personal. Ultimate substitute. New covenant. Uh, a covenant is a, is, a, is a formal relationship, okay? You have a covenant with Sprint. Uh, you have a covenant with Verizon or AT&T or somebody else. You have covenants in your neighborhood. There, there, there's, this, there's a formal agreement. Um, there's law involved. There's stipulations. But it is a relationship. Okay? It's multifaceted. Jesus says, this is the new covenant. Well, new assumes what? Old. New is better that tells us, and by the way, the, the new was talked about in the old, like in Jeremiah 31. So the old was never intended to be, by virtue of the fact it's called the old, and there was a new one coming, it's never intended to be the one. It's anticipating the new. The new covenant in my blood. I'm the lamb. I'm the sacrificed one. The old was nationalistic. The new is individual believers. We're not going to get too far into this, but the, the, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, everyone who's part of the new covenant has the Spirit indwelling them. They're, they're, they're believers. So what was happening nationalistically was good and right. Don't detract from that. But he was anticipating uh, this nation that had believers and unbelievers in it. 
but it showed that God is a delivering God. Now we're seeing delivering God, individual, personal, different, better, lasting, to never have a new, new covenant. Jesus is saying, this is all surrounding me and I'm going to secure it. All that stuff anticipated, it's about him. Okay, verse 21, let's transition a little bit. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. I talked about fulfillment earlier. Well, it's because of words like this. As it has been determined. This is planned. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. We're going to see this time and time again. Determined. Planned. Purpose. Fulfillment. This isn't by accident. doesn't mean human beings aren't culpable and responsible because God is using sinful human beings to accomplish His greater purposes. And we're going to see it not just here with Judas, we're going to see it on other places. And that's where we get ourselves out of balance sometimes when we read our Bibles and we try to live our Christian lives. We, we think in terms of, it's all up for grabs. Nothing is determined. And people are just really bad and out of control. Or we think... Everything is determined and people aren't responsible and it's passive and robotic. Actually, it's interesting how Jesus time and time again, Luke will pick this up, pick this up in the book of Acts. God is sovereign and in control, accomplishing his purposes in and through sinful people, but it's all going somewhere. Let's keep reading. 23, and they began to question one another. Which one of them could be, could it be, who was going to do this? That's that's a good thing to do, right? Who's it going to be? Now let's see just how sinful our hearts are if we're like these guys. Verse 24, (laughs) in the same breath, essentially, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. (laughs) You're like, duh. Somebody's going to betray Jesus, you know, and he's one of us. Can you imagine? And that was a short conversation. Let's just think about who the best one of us is. Um, Hello, my name is Pat. I'm a sinner too, you know. Let's not be too quick to throw rocks at these guys. 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, those would be unbelievers, exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. We shouldn't be like unbelievers. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. It's humility and equality. 27. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. This is, this is turning everything upside down and changing things. He's the, 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 the king's servant. 28, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Leadership, authority, different. But you know what? Christian leadership and authority, different. You've got to look to me to learn about this stuff. And I love this little passage as well because it shows us how gracious Jesus is. 
he should have just thumped them all on the heads, right? For having a dispute about which, the, which one the greatest one was. And what does he do? He talks about how they're going to have a place of privilege. He knows they need to be died for. <laughs> okay? He knows they need a resurrected Savior. And he's treating them in that light. It's good. It's good to see. Then it says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. He's talking to Peter. That he might sift you like wheat. If you're wheat, you don't want to be sifted, right? It's not comfortable. It's turmoil. 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Okay, turned again. See, Jesus knows what's going to happen because this is part of a plan that's being fulfilled. He's going to turn and then he's going to turn again. There's going to be betrayal. Satan wanted to bring him great harm, but Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Do you think there's really that big of a difference between Judas and Peter? On certain levels, I don't think so. Yes, Judas is called the son of perdition, and there, there are other texts. And it's all part of a plan. But part of the plan also is Jesus, let's use a big word here, effectually, effectively, powerfully, surely, praying for Peter. You know, the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Yeah, we're talking about righteousness personified. Jesus praying is effectual praying. If Jesus prays this way for Peter, it's tractor beam. His faith is not going to fail. He's going to crash and burn and act rather demonically. And this might trouble you. You might think, well, I don't think that's very nice. He didn't pray effectually for Judas. But make no mistake about it. It's part of a plan that's unfolding. It is part of a drama of redemption and the script has already been written. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And by the way, neither Judas nor Peter or Peter deserved any good effectual praying. Fair is, neither one of them have Jesus praying for them. Jesus graciously, kindly prays for Peter. Isn't it great too just to take a little bit of a... Um, segue a little bit of a, a time out and stop and, and acknowledge that Jesus is referred to as the one who intercedes for his people. Tractor beam praying. Can't be stopped. Can't be reversed. All those who belong to him. 
if this is any kind of standard, and I would suggest to you that it is. It's awesome. Makes you want to worship or something. It's like, yes. 33 says, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I'm loyal. I will never, ever flinch. I am faithful. How about that, huh? We know better. Reminds, reminds me of Israel when Israel was given the law from God. Exodus 19, verse 8. Their response, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. Uh, how'd that work out for you? You know, that's just how we are. And, and, and it's good in the sense that we hear what's good and right, and we say, that's good and right. And, and, and it's good to say, I'm going to do that. And it's really bad history. <laughs> because it, it doesn't work out. Always anticipating. What happened with Israel in the Old Testament? It's happening essentially with Peter. I'm faithful. I'm a good law keeper. I'm loyal. We know it's not going to be. He needs Jesus to go to Calvary, right? He needs Jesus to accomplish salvation for him. He's not going to be loyal. He's not going to be faithful. And again, how practical for us. A faithful Savior, Jesus. 34 says, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter... The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Jesus isn't going to be there. He's going to be gone. He's going to be crucified. Things are going to be in turmoil. 37. But I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled. Ah, see, whether we see the word or not, that's what this whole thing is about. Fulfilled, here we see the word, in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, numbered with the lawbreakers, numbered with the sinners. From Isaiah 53, that great substitutionary passage. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. It's just nothing shy of awesome, astounding, staggering, and amazing. It's all about me. For us. 38. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. Guys, they like to talk about the weapons. Um, and he said to them, it is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I want to go back to verse 42. 
I want to, I sort of want to reread verse 42. I want to read it dramatically with great emotion and brokenness and passion, but I'm not going to do it because I know it wouldn't sound like Jesus. Because there's no way I could imitate it and there's no way it could be imitated. For him to say, if you look there, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's, it, it's really worth your consideration and, and meditation. What's going on? I can help you a little. Cup. Pretty common in the Old Testament. Judgment poured out in the New Testament as well, as a matter of fact. It's when you dump something out and sometimes God's judgment is pictured as a bowl just being dumped out. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's cataclysmic. It's unstoppable. It's overwhelming. I know Jesus has that in mind here given the history of things. Just take this cup. Now think about this. The cup, in effect, is what's going to happen on the cross. Roman crucifixion. Bad? Kind of a dumb question, right? They crucified thousands and thousands of people. They're experts at it. They could make it more or less painful. But no doubt, humiliating, terrible, object lesson, painful. If we stop there, it misses a major part of the point. I'm not saying it misses the whole point. It misses a major part of the point. What's going to happen on Calvary's cross far surpassing the, the, the physical pain and anguish, something that, that Mel Gibson's film could never in a bazillion screenshots capture, would be spiritually what will go on there. The physical went on. I'm not trying to take away from that at all. But the spiritual gravity of what's going to happen at Calvary is Jesus is going to experience the undiluted, full-weighted wrath of God Almighty that should be poured out on everyone who would ever believe in Jesus. And it is going to be more horrific than we could even possibly fathom. So I should go to hell for an eternity to, for justice. I'm one person. You should go to hell for an eternity for justice. And maybe there are three, four hundred of us. Now times that by everyone who would ever believe throughout human history, Old and New Testament, and now the just judgment, the just condemnation is going to be hammered out on the sinless substitute, the Passover lamb. Father, take the cup away. 
shows us that while this is part of a plan that's to be fulfilled, while he knows he's going to eat and drink in the kingdom, while he knows he's going to be resurrected, in no way, shape, or form does it take away from the significance of what's going to happen. And I don't know how that works. But I want, I want to feel some of the weightiness of it. And, and again, this is, this is out of love. for those he's dying for. Jesus is saying this because of what he's about ready to go through on your behalf. Take it away. But not my will, your will. always submissive to his father. It's going to be so bad that on the cross, Jesus is going to say what he never says in his earthly ministry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It won't be paternal relationship, father. It will be judge relationship. And we're going to see that. Not today. Please interpret this. Please read this in the greater context. Jesus is knowing he's going to the cross. He's planning to go to the cross. He is giving himself up for us. He's not the victim that doesn't want this to happen to him. He is going willingly, knowingly, intentionally, lovingly for us, for the glory of his name, for the glory of his Father, for the glory of the triune God. He knows he's going to be resurrected. In no way, shape, or form is this some sort of battle, and, and my will is different than your will. But it shows us the, the, the realness of what's happening here. We know it's his will, too based upon everything he's been saying. But my, this is, this is something. And my, we don't all have our crosses to bear. This is love divine for us. Verse 43, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him, and, and being in an agony. Awkward word choice on purpose, trying to reflect the intent of the original. And being in an agony, a particular kind. This is not him, you know, bearing one of his many crosses. This is, this is the, the, this is an agony. This is, this is the real deal. This is the, the greatest. Shy of the cross. He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas. One of the twelve was leading them. He drew near to Jesus. Remember, Jesus chose the twelve, part of the fulfillment of a plan. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man, the Messiah, with a kiss? Jesus knows. Jesus is in control. Redemptive plan is unfolding. 49. 
And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Is this why you told us to do this? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. We know it was Peter. I liked what one Bible teacher said about this. Do you think he was aiming to cut off the guy's ear? This was not him using his ninja skills, you know, just to prove a point. Peter the fisherman. The guy turned, ducked, flinched at the right time um, and didn't lose his head. But Jesus said no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, that's ironic as all ironic can be, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour. How about that for fulfillment? How about that for plan, for purpose? But this is your hour and the power of darkness. You think you're in charge, you're not in charge. 54, we're going to read that last section. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately... While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Fulfillment of a plan. And he went out and wept bitterly. So Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested unjustly. It's done by the hands of sinful people. It's done with a demonic agenda. But please know, 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 and know that it is done by intent as a divine purpose the divine purpose is being fulfilled and accomplished. This is the God I encourage you, invite you to trust in. A God who is so not like you and so not like me, He's trustworthy and when He says something's going to happen, it happens. Best of all, the ultimate happens. And we're seeing it right before our very eyes. He's going to Calvary and nothing can stop that from happening. Because He loves us. 
And he's going to redeem us in a way that is far greater than any historic act of redemption. He's worthy of our worship, adoration, devotion, service, gratitude. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for a a great and awesome Savior whose name is Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of proclaiming His excellencies. Thank you for the opportunity to to learn from Your Word and from history and to know and understand something of how all of this happened. Thank you that we can be encouraged today by what Jesus has done for us. Um, That while this is all history, it's redemptive history. It's meant to be for a purpose that's personal. For, it's, it's for people like us and men and women and boys and girls. And It's good news. It's good news. We're grateful. And now as we do what Jesus said to do until He comes back by taking bread and taking wine that symbolize His body and His blood, His perfect substitutionary death for us as we eat and as we drink. Please, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, use these simple, ordinary things to build us up in the faith, the faith that has Christ as central, central to everything, our sure hope, our resurrected hope, In Jesus' name, amen.